Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you and Katrina. In this episode, a grim but fascinating story from America about the death penalty. Yeah, this is a really controversial one. So convicted murderer Kenneth Smith has been on death row in the state of Alabama since 1988. He actually survived a botched execution attempt Mm. using lethal injection last year and now he could be the guinea pig for death by nitrogen gas. Oklahoma, Mississippi and Smith State of Alabama are the only three states in America where nitrogen has been approved for use in this way. That was back in 2015, but it is so controversial, no state has ever tried to kill people this way. But after Smith's botched execution last year, Alabama's Attorney General has asked the court for a new date where they'll use it. I think that there's no question in my mind that nitrogen gas execution will will fail spectacularly. Wow, imagine if they botched it twice. That would be horrific. Um, Very interesting to hear about this new method and why it's so controversial as well. That is our briefing. Thank you for that, Katrina. Let's get into today's headlines first. It is Tuesday, the 26th of September. There's a huge controversy around one of Australia's most powerful and best-paid public servants, Mark Pizzullo. He's the Secretary of the Home Affairs Department and he's been asked to step aside by the Minister after years of leaked text messages were outed in a media report by nine newspapers. Now, these text messages are between Pizzullo and a senior Liberal Party power broker and they show Pizzullo trying to have political influence over the Liberal Party, including leadership appointments and policy. Absolutely huge news there. Yeah, this is a really interesting story. The main issue here is that public servants are supposed to be politically neutral, and that allows them to work with the government of the day, no matter who's in power. Now, some of these text messages include statements like the one where he was talking about who would be the Home Affairs Minister after the 2018 leadership spill, and that's the one where Scott Morrison took over from Malcolm Turnbull. Um, The text message in question from Pizzullo says, we need a right-winger in there. He's talking about the Home Affairs portfolio. People smugglers will be watching. Uh, And then there's a whole lot more, including a plan to stop media reporting on national security issues and disparaging remarks about our old co-host Annika Smethurst, who broke a story about security policy in 2018. So now there's an investigation into Pizzullo that was announced yesterday. The story came out Sunday night. Um, We have an investigation now by the Public Service Commission and the Minister for Home Affairs, Claire O'Neill, asked him to step aside until its completion. So it means there's a huge cloud over the future of Mike Pizzullo and his job where he gets paid over $900,000. There's a possible breakthrough on the writers' strike and a tentative deal has been reached for the Writers Guild of America, or the WGA. The union have been striking for nearly five months now and they've announced the deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers who represent streaming services and studios. Uh, They haven't released the details of this deal yet and the three-year contract agreement must now be approved by the WGA Guilds Board and members 
members before the strike officially ends, but we are hearing that picketing has been ordered to end. Um, mm. One of the main sticking points, Tom, was apparently uh, over AI and um, there were concerns that um, studios and streamers could use generative AI, so, you know, systems like um, chat GPT, to cut costs um, by using that instead of, of humans to produce scripts. Um, the New York Times is saying that uh, they've amended the contract to um, pave the way for AI in the future. I'd be certainly interested to mm. see that because it would be, you know, one of the only creative industries that's um, had, had proper negotiations over what AI looks like for creatives going into the future. Yeah, that's a good point. It is almost a test case for how AI will will sort of be used in a in a different industries going forward. So yeah, we are sort of stepping awkwardly into the future here. Um, so what you were talking about there was the writer's strike. Now remember, it was a writer's and actor's strike. Um, so this is a breakthrough for the writer's strike, but they're still hashing out an actor's agreement. Um, they haven't reached a deal yet. Um, but yeah, as you say, it'd be really interesting to see what deal they've struck with the writers over AI, but also the pay deal, which is a huge part of it. And Qantas pilots have now joined calls for Qantas's chairman, Richard Goida, to step down. They've written to the airline's new CEO, Vanessa Hudson, saying morale for pilots has never been lower. And they say Qantas needs a cultural reset. But how can this happen with Goida as chairman? They accuse him of overseeing one of the most damaging periods in Qantas history and then accepting a $100,000 pay rise just last week. Now, Katrina, I had a feeling that, you know, given Joyce was already on the way out and, you know, they docked his pay by only a small amount, that the amount of disquiet unhappiness within Qantas would still need need another head to roll um, beyond just Alan Joyce, who was going out anyway. So I'm not surprised there's, there's more calls for more resignations. Absolutely. And especially at a time, you know, they make this point themselves, the Pilots Association, that staff are expected to accept a two-year wage freeze. And this, with this 100 grand pay rise that Goyd is getting, he's, he's now on $750,000 a year. It, it, you know, they always say culture comes from the top. If you've had a reset of sorts with a new CEO, I personally think you need to change it all up completely from the top. And the Brownlow medal count came down to the final round overnight with Lockie Neal winning for a second time. That is a huge deal. Uh, the Brisbane Lions superstar just beat Western Bulldogs star Marcus Bontempelli. Wow, that's amazing to win the Brownlow twice. Um, that'll go down in AFL history, Lockie Neal. Um, the other big sporting story, this one's... Um, a lot closer to my broken heart. <laughs> so the Wallabies um, got thrashed by Wales uh, yesterday morning around this time. It was terrible to watch. And wow, the um, the sniper rifles are now firmly trained on the coach, Eddie Jones, because in the days before the game, a story broke in nine newspapers that he had a meeting with Japanese rugby about coaching there next year just before the World Cup started. So given his performance has been horrific, the only game he's won since he took over as coach was against Georgia, um, a very low-ranked team, and everything else has been an absolute disaster. Um, he selected a team largely full of new players right before a World Cup and, and dropped some of the veterans of the squad, and it just 
hasn't worked, sadly. There's now reports out um, in the last 24 hours that rugby's going so badly that they might even lose their broadcast deal with Stan and Nine. Um, that would be no. shocking for the future of the game, you know, and the short-term revenue. Um, so, yeah, it's the first time we've ever been to a World Cup and not made the finals, not made it out of the pool games. Um, so, yes, the rugby world is in a world of hurt at the moment, particularly They're never going to lose that contract and... Also, a redemption story, a comeback story is way more interesting to watch. So I still, I'm full of optimism. They're going to make a comeback. When? Like, you know, the next World Cup's not for four <laughs> years. Um, we haven't won a Bledisloe in over a decade. You know, will Eddie Jones be able to steer? You know, it depends how long that comeback's going to take. Will he still be there to steer it? Oh, geez. Well, you know, you can't be a fair weather fan, Tom. Uh, You've got to be in this one for the long haul. But I agree, (laughs) four years is a long time to keep that hope alive. Look, sadly, it's in my in my blood. It won't be going anywhere. But um, yeah, not the result we were hoping for. Anyway. I'll catch you later. Looking forward to this briefing on the death penalty in the US and this new method. It goes without saying there aren't too many people who can talk about what it's like to be executed. Kenneth Smith, though, is one of them. He's one of two living Americans who've survived a lethal injection. Smith is 58 years old and he was convicted of killing Elizabeth Sennett in 1988. Her husband paid him $1,000 to carry out the murder. Her husband was a pastor and he was in debt and he wanted to get his wife's life insurance. Fast forward to last year and Smith was one of three inmates on death row who officials tried to execute via an IV and it just didn't work. Now Smith could become the first ever prisoner to be executed in Alabama via a new method using pure nitrogen gas. To talk to us about how this would work and why some believe this method is so cruel that even US vets won't recommend it to euthanise animals, we're joined by Dr Joel Zivett, who's an expert on physician participation in lethal injection. And just a bit of a warning, some of the information in this briefing topic could be a little bit confronting for some of our listeners. Dr Zivett, can you begin by telling us the story of Kenneth Smith? How did he become the first possible candidate for this new method of execution? If a prisoner who is facing execution decides that the method of execution that will be used to kill them, if that prisoner is concerned that their death will be cruel, then they can bring that argument to the court But as part of that argument, they have to actually name another method of execution, how they will, in fact, be killed. And that method of execution has to be readily available. So in Kenneth Smith's case, he did not want to die by lethal injection. And in fact, the state tried and failed to kill him by lethal injection. He chose instead the only available alternative which was to die by the inhalation of nitrogen gas. Alabama is one of three states now in the United States that claims to be ready to use this, and they've just recently indicated that they're ready to give it a go. 
So the other states are Mississippi and Oklahoma, where nitrogen has been approved as an execution method. And in Oklahoma, this all began back in 2015, but there was even controversy around the report which suggested it as an alternative. Can you tell us that story? So the problem of nitrogen gas, and I think the problem with uh, lethal injection too, is that both of these methods of execution sound perhaps like they have the endorsement of the scientific and medical community, that these are some kind of medical scientific acts. And this is no accident. States that have used these methods are intending to do that, I think, to honestly, to mollify the public and to let them know that these are safe, technical sorts of methods. In the case of Oklahoma and nitrogen gas, it was there was a report that was actually penned by an attorney. So not a physician, not a chemist, uh, no one with actual technical experience in this subject, who based upon really anecdotes of the use of nitrogen gas uh, in circumstances that led to death, it was opined, claimed that a method of execution that could be therefore used would be to utilize nitrogen. And it was called at the time nitrogen hypoxia. Nitrogen hypoxia is not a medical term. There's no um, such thing as nitrogen hypoxia in a clinical setting. Hypoxia just means low oxygen, but it, it has a kind of, I guess, technical ring to it, even like lethal injection. I prefer to call it death by the inhalation of nitrogen gas at least that's accurate. It's just been really more of a threat than actually uh, being used to carry out an execution. But that's how at least the story of nitrogen hypoxia, nitrogen gas execution began. So how would it work? How would it be administered? And, and I guess on the more gruesome end, how does it kill someone? In order for capital punishment to be lawful, it has to be not cruel. And this question about how to gauge whether something is cruel or not, you know, is tricky. It's so tricky, in fact, that generally courts and states that practice uh, execution even fail to directly address it. My own research into lethal injection has shown that fully 80% of the time when people die by that method, their lungs fill with frothy, bloody fluid about 8 out of 10 times. And so they actually die by drowning in their own blood. I'm sorry to be so graphic. Mm. You know, what we know about nitrogen gas is there have been accidental death with nitrogen exposure in industry. Now, nitrogen gas actually is normally something in the atmosphere. In fact, the air that we all breathe is a mixture mostly of about 79, 80% nitrogen and about 20, 21% oxygen. And we call that air. In the case of nitrogen gas, you know, execution with nitrogen gas, what will happen is that instead of breathing this 80%, 20% mixture, a prisoner will be exposed to breathing 100% nitrogen. So pure nitrogen gas is what they'll breathe. The body needs that oxygen to live. Think of it like a, a candle burning and when oxygen is deprived from that candle, the candle rapidly extinguishes, and so it would be with the body. So when oxygen is removed from the body, the body has virtually no kind of stores of oxygen. 
So the claim is that, you know, death will occur uh, reasonably rapidly and that because of really anecdotes of people who've had near-death experiences in low-oxygen environments where they claim that they were unaware, this is the kind of the backbone of the argument that this kind of method of death with pure nitrogen gas uh, inhalation will be not cruel. At least that's, uh, I think, what the state is is at least indirectly claiming, although not directly claiming, because it's never been done before. When it comes to determining the cruelty aspect of these executions, that's very difficult to determine because not too many people survive. In the last year or so, Alabama has had three very kind of notorious executions where one succeeded and two failed. The two that failed, Kenny Smith was one of them. The other one was a man named Alan Miller. In both circumstances, the state failed to establish intravenous access, is the technical term for it. And lethal injection requires an intravenous to be started. In the first instance of these three cases, uh, the first case was uh, someone uh, named Joe Nathan James. Joe Nathan James did eventually have intravenous started, but it took hours to do it. And I know there was problems there because I actually arranged a second autopsy of Joe Nathan James after he died. And so I examined his body uh, after he was executed and found many, many uh, attempts, uh, many puncture holes in his arms where they had tried and failed to establish an intravenous. And finally, there were two uh, incisions on his forearm where they had performed something called a cutdown, where they actually took a knife to his skin to open up his skin to try to expose a vein underneath. Now, the Alabama protocol uh, that they publish, at least, does not permit such a thing to be done. So this was done uh, outside of the protocol, clearly out of desperation. And after the fact, when, uh, you know, we revealed these autopsy findings, the state, first of all, denied it and then said, well, they wouldn't do it again. So they've had a lot of trouble, but they're now ready to try something new and different. Um, and so to your question about cruelty, well, certainly Kevin Smith, you know, bears the uh, ghoulish distinction of having survived an attempt at killing him. Uh, the, an execution, again, to be lawful uh, has to occur within a fixed period of time. And the state simply ran out of time. And so they abandoned it. And what we do know is that uh, we've had um, the guidelines published by American Veterinary Medical Association, which says that uh, nitrogen hypoxia creates an environment distressing for nearly all mammals. So we do have that as a baseline. Look, I, I think that there's no question in my mind that nitrogen gas execution will, will fail spectacularly. First of all, nitrogen gas is odorless and colorless. And so basically anyone that, it, that is near it, you know, in a sense is exposed to the deadly effects of low oxygen. In the case of people who've died in industry, it was, again, environments that were stripped of oxygen by accident and people died in that circumstance. So now witnesses or uh, prison officials or a clergy person who may be present are all actually at risk now of being harmed by exposure to nitrogen gas. 
And also I should add that in order to get a prisoner to actually breathe this in, what Alabama intends to do is to apply some sort of a face mask to a prisoner. Now, of course, in order for the face mask to tightly fit, it has to fit so there's no leaking of air around the edges of the mask. It would require some volunteerism on the part of the prisoner. If a prisoner simply moves their head around, the mask could become loosened. And so picture, if you will, someone being physically held down and a mask pushed onto their face. This is even before you're getting to the nitrogen part of this execution. So the setup of it, you know, is really quite extraordinary. So Alabama's Attorney General has asked the state Supreme Court to set a fresh execution date for Kenneth Smith. Where are we at with that? Just that, that a demand or a desire has been expressed to set a date, but to my knowledge, no official date has occurred. So everyone is waiting uh, to see what will happen. And I know that there'll be certainly legal challenges that will occur, that are occurring. Um, They'll become more pointed once a date is uh, set. And in execution in America these days, there is this legal battle that always seems to occur right up until the execution, sometimes, you know, into the night. So there'll be all of that here. And of course, no one really knows what this will be. My sense is that it will would be terrible and would be cruel. I have no actually really no doubt of that. That was Dr. Joel Zivit. And in these cases, there are often legal challenges almost right up to the minute before the execution is scheduled, which must be unbelievable for those on death row to grapple with. Uh, Dr. Zivit says there are likely to be many challenges in this case of Kenneth Smith. Listener.